This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Libby Snymer is off this weekend. I'm Jane Brown. We have to adjust our language to take account of the entirely new distributional problems that exist. It is more and more going to be a story of the old versus the young. That's author and historian Neil Ferguson. On today's show, we'll revisit an interview Libby had with Neil a few months back. Ferguson argues that the Western world has seen its best days and is now in decline. Plus, we're just under three weeks until Team Zoomer walks in the weekend to end women's cancers. Before Libby went on vacation, we sat down to chat about the importance of this walk and Princess Margaret Hospital. That's coming up a little later. And this week marked the 43rd anniversary of the world's most famous music festival, the three days of peace and music that became Woodstock. We'll remember the festival with a look back at the performers and a famous song written by Joni Mitchell. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Caregivers of older family members are being acknowledged in the U.S. A number of public service announcements are being released, which put the spotlight on individuals who may be struggling to care for aging relatives while managing work, kids, and their own health. A key message of the new campaign by AARP and Ad Council is for caregivers not to neglect their own needs while helping overwhelmed families find resources that can help out. The ads direct people to AARP's website, where they can track down care providers, online support groups and legal documents, or chat with a caregiving expert. This week, the Active Aging Congress took place in Scotland, and hot on the heels of the Olympics, one of the big messages was that Zoomers should feel inspired by the Games to take personal fitness into their own hands. Don Skelton, professor of aging and health at Glasgow Caledonian University, says if you're not fit, you cannot maintain an independent and active lifestyle. The recommended amount of exercise for over 75s is 30 minutes of moderate activity every day. But delegates at the conference were told only 7% of UK adults in this age group achieve those recommended levels. The Congress suggested regular walking for those who want an easy way to improve their fitness with low risk. And finally, she was the original Cosmo girl. Helen Gurley Brown passed away this week at the age of 90. The editor who made Cosmopolitan magazine into a single girl's handbook of sex and glamour first became famous with a best-selling book called Sex and the Single Girl. Years later, in 1993, Helen Gurley Brown espoused some of her controversial advice by recommending a woman who's not sexually satisfied by her husband should seek out a married man as a lover. A married man is not so much in demand, and he might possibly be the sexual partner who could 
see you occasionally, and no, I don't feel any guilt about his wife. I'm a wife. It's up to a wife to keep her husband at home if she can't. Brown was a controversial figure in the women's movement, filling Cosmo with racy articles and centerfolds. A photo of Burt Reynolds in the buff created quite a sensation in 1972. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The world is watching as America is on the brink of a federal election that could end up deciding many social and financial policies. Superstar historian Neil Ferguson has a theory about why Western civilization dominated the world for 500 years and why he believes that predominance is rapidly coming to an end. His latest book is Civilization, the West and the Rest. Libby Snymer sat down with him when he was in town to promote it. Neil Ferguson, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Well, in the book, you say that the West has dominated the world for the last 500 years because of six of what you call killer apps. So why that imagery and what are they? Well, killer apps came about because I was trying to write a history book that my teenage children would read and enjoy. So I thought, I'll call them the killer apps, and that will simultaneously engage their interest and annoy reviewers in a, in a good way. It's not a bad image, actually, because when you take out your smartphone, you see these icons and you tap them and magic things happen. The things I'm talking about are a bit like that. They look simple. When I list them, number one, competition, number two, science, three, property rights, four, medicine, five, the consumer society, six, the work ethic. Sounds simple, right? But these six things, in fact, were highly complex bundles of of ideas and institutions that evolved in a unique way in the Western world. That set the West apart from the rest in ways that fundamentally transformed the world. The thing that I'm explaining here is an amazing 500-year process of divergence that led the West to be far richer than the rest, led Westerners to live much longer than what I call Resterners. It also created a, a system of enormous inequality in the world in which Western empires essentially ruled everybody else. Now you're saying that the Westerners have downloaded the apps. That's why this is a nice uh, metaphor, because these institutions and ideas were evolved originally in the West, but they were a kind of open source software. Anybody could download it. And the Japanese were the first to do this. I mean, over 100 years ago, the Japanese decided, well, we can't possibly beat these people. Let's copy them. And that process of of copying Western institutions has now spread from Japan to most of Asia and much of the rest of the world. In 2016, China's economy will be, according to the IMF, the biggest in the world. We shouldn't be complacent about what that means because China will still be a one-party state with significant limits on individual freedom when that happens. That's a big challenge. It's a challenge not only economically, but it could be a challenge strategically because contrary to the assumption that all innovation happens in Silicon Valley and the Chinese just assemble stuff for Apple, in truth, China is innovating in a whole range of different ways, one of which is in cyber warfare. I think the war of the future between the West and the rest may very well be fought in cyberspace. And that war is a war that the West is not guaranteed to win. So what do we do to keep our place? Do you have a prescription? I do. I'm not a a, a fatalist. Uh, This is not a declinist book that predicts uh, an inevitable decline. On the contrary, the point I'm making is that 
these are institutional stories and therefore we can fix the problem. It's, it's not something in our DNA, it's not in the weather, it's not in geography. The rise of the West was about institutions. And our institutions no longer work as well as they used to. The things we used to be really good at, say education, we're not as good at. Uh, and that's fixable. Ditto the rule of law. We used to have great legal institutions in North America. We don't anymore. I think we can fix these problems, but we need to get serious about what's wrong with our society. It cannot be good that the standard of high school education in North America is so bad that the gap between a 15-year-old in Shanghai and a 15-year-old in the U.S. is as big in terms of mathematical attainment as the gap between an American and someone in Albania. I mean, that's fixable, but we're not talking about it. I'd like to switch gears for the last few minutes. You have some interesting ideas about a battle between the generations. In what I've read of yours, you focus on the problems in the United States with with the amount of debt that we have left our grandchildren. Do you think that is the same in Europe and in a place like Canada? The problem exists throughout the Western world, both sides of the Atlantic. It varies from country to country according, A, to the demographics, and B, to the way the welfare state works. The Canadian problem is less serious for a number of reasons. The public finances of Canada are in a healthier state, uh, partly because of uh, reforms that were undertaken in earlier difficult times back in the, uh, in the 90s, uh, partly because of Canada's natural resource wealth. Um, Canada's an economy that, by Western standards, is doing pretty well. But you still have the same generational issues. There is still a fundamental uh, conflict of interest between those who are about to retire and plan to live on really rather generous pensions, particularly public sector pensions, and the people who are entering the workforce who are finding it very hard to find a job, very hard to afford a home, and who are going to be looking at very large tax bills during their working lives. The interesting thing about generational politics is that we don't really have the language for it. We're still set up for a politics based on on distribution in in the here and now. It's not quite class politics, but it's broadly speaking the politics of the 19th and 20th century. We have to adjust our language to take account of the entirely new distributional problems that exist. It is more and more going to be a story of the old versus the young, and we're going to have to relabel our political system to take account of that. Okay, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. There's a lot more to talk about. Neil Ferguson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. You can find Neil's book, Civilization, the West and the Rest, on Amazon.ca or at your local bookstore. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Time for a quick break, and then we'll strap on our walking shoes as Team Zoomer gears up for the Princess Margaret Hospital's Weekend to End Women's Cancers. We'll talk about the importance of the walk in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. We're all touched by cancer. For some, it's been a personal battle. For others, family members have fought the disease. For the third year in a row, Team Zoomer is walking in the weekend to end women's cancers to benefit cancer research at Toronto's Princess Margaret Hospital. Libby Snymer and I are co-captains of the team, and Libby, it's less than three weeks now until we walk. Absolutely, my goodness. It's getting awfully close. We have to get our stuff together, and we have to get in that uh, three-hour walk. That's 
That's what I need to do before the walk to make sure that I'll really be in shape. This is the third year for Team Zoomer. So, you know, we have been at this for some time and we've had some very generous donations over the last three years. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've raised uh, in the first two years about $150,000, which is amazing. Have to say it's going a little tough this year. I think we have to remind people that this is really a very, very important cause. And, you know, everybody has been touched by cancer one way or another. Well, that's the thing. I think most people out there do have a certain amount of money that they want to give to charities. And we are all touched by cancer, as you say, whether it's us personally or a family member. And I think that what people need to realize when they're deciding what they do with their charitable dollars is that Princess Margaret Hospital is one of the best in the world. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're supporting the research that goes on at the hospital. Well, just we are both examples of of the good use that that money goes to. I just celebrated my fourth anniversary cancer-free, which is absolutely amazing (laughs) since I had something very bad. But, you know, a lot of other people are not so lucky, as you well know, Jane. Yes. My mom was uh, treated at Princess Margaret Hospital for three years as she bravely battled bladder cancer, metastasized cancer. Uh, I lost my mom on May 1st of this year. That's um, very sad. We're so it, sorry. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you were a big support to me all the way through um, because I was able to talk to you about Princess Margaret and the treatments, and that actually helped throughout the process. And I'm certain we had our, my mom longer because of the great work that they do at Princess Margaret. And it's this is my way of giving back, and it may be your way of giving back as well. If you're thinking about donating, you can't think of a better team than Team Zoomer. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it is, as we said, a wonderful event. And I know some people say it's the walk to end women's cancers. Why just women's cancers? Now, the the thing that I really want to emphasize this year is that it's part of a larger campaign at Princess Margaret for personalized medicine, which is the future of cancer care. And basically what they're finding is that uh, it's not best to treat each cancer just by body part if it's the breast or the prostate, but according to the genetic characteristics of the cancer, and that costs a fortune to figure that out. They're starting to do it. The mutations in the cancer can appear in very different kinds of cancer, and targeting the mutations that cause a cancerous tumor is a better way to go than chemotherapy, which is like a bomb blast. Uh, So that is the frontier, and it takes a lot of money for research. And that was your own experience as well, personalized medicine by Dr. Malcolm Moore at PMH. And, And Dr. Gallinger, yes, absolutely. I mean, I was lucky they didn't have to analyze my tumor. Like, we already knew what my mutation was, and they were able to target it successfully. And people should know, I mean, it was groundbreaking work there because I was the first person in Canada that got the treatment that I got. And since then, uh, there have been at least 20 people. So you see what your funds do for Princess Margaret Hospital. That's why we're asking and appealing you today with less than three weeks to go to donate to Team Zoomer. Zoomerradio.ca online or am740.ca. Or if you don't have access to the internet to donate, you can call 416-815-WALK. 416-815-WALK. Thanks, Libby. Okay, well, just to uh, add a little to that. So you go onto the website, you scroll towards the bottom of the page, and there there's a button that says donate now. So you can't miss it. Thanks, Libby. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. 
This week marked the 43rd anniversary of the world's most famous music festival. In just a moment, we'll relive the peace, love, and music of Woodstock. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. It's time now for the International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, known for spoofing the top Broadway shows, Forbidden Broadway, Alive and Kicking, is at the 47th Street Theater. This time, creator Gerard Alessandrini makes fun of the musicals Porgy and Bess, Avida, Death of a Salesman, and Book of Mormon. At the Museum of Modern Art, check out pictures by American photographer Taryn Simon. The photographic project takes place over the years from 2008 to 2011 when Simon traveled the world. The subjects include feuding families in Brazil, victims of genocide in Bosnia, and the body double of Saddam Hussein's son. To London, see the political thriller that deeply resonated with former South African President Nelson Mandela. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often tarred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. The pan-African version of Julius Caesar is at the Noel Coward Theatre. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. 43 years ago, the 1960s were capped off by what is now considered the most famous music festival in the world, Woodstock. It was held in upstate New York on the property owned by dairy farmer Max Yasker. It kicked off around 5 p.m. on Friday, August 15th, with a performance by the American folk artist Richie Havens. For three days, the nearly 500,000 people enjoyed peace, free love, and music while the rain poured down on them. Acts like Janis Joplin, The Who, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and the band are just some of the artists that took the stage. It didn't take long for people to realize the festival was something very special. Although she wasn't actually at Woodstock, Canada's Joni Mitchell immortalized the festival in song. She based her lyrics on what her boyfriend Graham Nash told her about his experiences at the event. Later, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young would go on to record the song and make it a hit. Here they are with Woodstock.
Music, Peace, and Love, Woodstock. This week marked the 43rd anniversary of the iconic festival. That song was written by Joni Mitchell to honor the event, and we just heard the famous recording of it by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown. Thank you so much for being here today. Libby Snyder will be back for next week's show. And right now, please keep listening to the new AM740 as we head into Mike Filey's Toronto. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.